0: Back in September of 1982, Mike Bickle, the founder of International House of Prayer in Kansas City, was in Cairo, Egypt when the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice. Never before had Mike ever heard the audible voice of the Lord, but this time it was unmistakable. He was in his hotel room when suddenly there was a swirl in the air. He could feel the wind of the spirit in the room, and the fear of the Lord caused Mike to tremble, and the Lord told him, I am going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. This is The Burning Rooms Podcast. Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect with the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations and share the stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. I'm Johan. I'm Jehu. And I'm Brian. Today we are joined with another Brian, Brian Creary, who is
1: the director of Sanctuary House of Prayer. You want to tell us a little bit about that ministry? Yes. uh, Thanks for having me on, guys. We uh, are based in Winnipeg. We've existed for almost 13 years beginning coming from uh, an experience that I had when I was at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, where the Lord just apprehended me and talked about the importance of night and day prayer and a prayer community in our city to, to call for some significant changes and some destiny in our city that's, that's uh, yet ahead for us. So we've been uh, diligent in it, and you guys, you know all about the story. Uh, the, the Lord is doing some powerful things in our community, and the uh, best is yet still yet ahead. So in the introduction, we heard a story from Mike Bickle, who's part of Kansas
0: City, where you, International House Prayer in Kansas City, where you had that encounter. Uh, this was a word of the Lord Mike received, like more than a word of the Lord. This was an encounter that he had with God that kind of set him on a course for starting this prayer movement back in 1982. So this is part of their prophetic history that they often like to share. And we've listened to that several times and it's been an encouragement for us. So what do we mean when we talk about prophetic history?
1: It's a good question. Sometimes when a person thinks of their history, they think of the events that took place, the organizational sides of things, the day that they got their first building or the day that they took on a certain amount of staff. But prophetic history is about the uh, events that take place that can only be done by the Lord himself that are tied to future promises, things where the Lord breaks in and gives you a an indicator that something is coming that's yet ahead, and he demonstrates it in a way that is powerful so that you are Marked by it, and you—you you can hold on to it. You can have confidence that you can stand for it, pray for it, believe for it, even if it's decades ahead. So, do you have any examples
2: of a of a word like that that's been um, really formative and important for for you as you've directed Sanctuary House of Prayer?
1: We uh, we had a number of those kinds of things take place, especially in the earlier stages of our experience. We had a strange experience uh, where uh, some of the most important prophetic words that were given concerning the establishment of our house actually came before we were even thinking about putting a prayer room together. I'll tell you just one quick story. For In 1996, we had a conference that was hosted by a local church in town, of which I was a part of, and the church was... I had brought in some guests to, to speak on themes of intercession, and during that time, a dream came forth that was for the local church community, but it was obviously larger than that. And in the dream, the man said, I see a watch coming. He says, I see the Lord building a and fashioning and crafting. A hand, a, it's a handcrafted watch that the Lord is doing himself, and the, it's the watch of the Lord. It's the, the watching and praying, watching for the seasons of the Lord and the, the restraints and the releases, and the Lord's building something related to prayer. It's a watch. And uh, you need to be paying attention for it. And there's, there's a diamond that'll be dropped in at some point underneath the 12. And when you see that diamond dropped in, you'll know that that's the time that the, the authority for the watch has been set and this thing is ready to go. I was in the room at the time. I was there in 96 along with some other folks that are part of our community. We didn't understand that at all. We, we debated it for a week or two. We talked about what, a, what it could possibly mean, but nobody thought a watch meant a prayer room. Because there were no prayer rooms that we knew that, that existed at that time. IHOP in Kansas City was still three years away. We were a number of years, over 10 years away. We just had no way to understand it. But the Lord was putting it in place in advance for us so that in 2006, when the time came for us to launch and that word came back to us, and we, it was a number of ways in which it, it it fell into our hands, we were able to see it and recognize that's us. You're talking about us. This is the the establishment of a promise concerning our city. And you told everybody 10 years before it even came to pass because you wanted us confident that it was really you and you were building something and you were moving on our behalf. That's a great example of a prophetic history story that sets things in place, that that you can believe that. You can hang on to that for years to come. So why do you think the Lord
2: did that? I just find that so fascinating that here it is years before you even think about starting it. He gives you a word. It makes absolutely no sense. You don't understand what he's doing at all. Why does he
1: do it that way? When we think about our prophetic stories and we think about prophetic promises, oftentimes we think that it's about knowing where we're going in the future. But honestly, I think that the Lord uses it for some other reasons. I think he, he sets it in place so that it will, it will um, build our faith. Because faith is so critical. You can't do any of this if you don't have faith. If we can't believe that the Lord's going to actually do what he says he's going to do, you might as well stop praying. So faith is key. And I I believe he puts a promise like that out there and he says, I want to produce in you a confidence and a, a faith that you will know that I'm, I'm faithful to what it is that I'm saying I'm doing. In addition, it builds a... Uh, a pathway to uh, knowing his heart, which is also central to the prayer movement. You're leaning in to ask for things that are on his on his agenda and you wanna move with him and you can't possibly do that well unless you know what's on his heart, it's, it's impossible. You can't be at a distance kind of guessing scripturally, I hope that we're in, in alignment with him. You really have to know what he's thinking. But I think there's a third one which is a, of critical importance. The prophetic history actually gives you courage it There's a time when um, it's fearful to keep going when when you face obstacles when when there's not enough money or there's not enough people or there's persecution, opposition, uh, you know that they're saying things about you now, they're they're just starting to move against you to keep this thing from functioning or the plans of the Lord to to be established there's a courage that's required to, to be able to stand up and say, no, the Lord said it, we're doing it. And we, we're going to stand strong, we're not backing off. That prophetic history, I think, produces those things. It's not so much a blueprint of where we're going, although that's part of it too. But the Lord knows where we're going anyway. So even if he doesn't tell us anything, we still get to rely on him because we just move with him and the, and it it produces the same result. But he tells us so that we'll be courageous, so that we won't back down, so that we'll have... Faith in our hearts, so that we'll be confident and we'll actually know his what he's thinking. So you're
3: saying it's really important to have that prophetic history and that prophetic journey because it it gives you that faith and that grounding. But what would you say to somebody just starting out who maybe doesn't have a, a clear word or or feels really strongly that they want to start a, a praying community, but they don't have that that rich history to to draw from? What, what would you say to someone like that?
1: So you never want to discourage anyone from prayer. So uh, if people want to gather together and pray. Uh, young people on a Friday night, senior ladies on a Wednesday morning, pastors once a month for, for prayer gatherings, all of that matters. And the Lord sees it all and the Lord values it and he hears it. So when people raise their voices on behalf of others, there's a response to that. I don't think any of that uh, requires an extra amount of prophetic history or prophetic words to guide us. When somebody does come though and say, Oh, I want to establish a prayer community. I want it to be responsible to to carry prayer on behalf of my city or my region, and I, this is going to be my primary identity. And I feel like this is the Lord. Uh, I've had a number of guys come to, to say this to me at various points in our in our journey, and I always ask them the same three questions. I say, "Okay, uh, I want you to tell me uh, why it's you, why it's now, and why it's here." So give me the 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 words from the Lord, the prophetic confirmations that it's here, now, and it's you. And if you can give me those and if you actually have those, then you're you're convincing me, but that's not really the issue. They're convincing themselves in the process. see what I've discovered, what we've discovered uh, as leaders here is over the last decade or you know 12 years, you know 15 years really in the planning phases, there's a ton of time opportunity to, Ah, uh, give up on your your work, and to feel like it's not working, and the enemy's pushing against you, and the and the doubt is creeping in, and the 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 journey, the the prophetic stories, the things that the Lord has spoken to us is is often what holds us in place. So, if somebody comes and says, "I want to start a community, I want to plant this thing, it's going to be awesome, we're going to be twenty four seven revival is going to break in," they have to know. That it's them, that it's now, and that it's in the place that they want to be in. And they've got to have it from the Lord or or it's a disservice to them to send them out and to try to do that by themselves. Mike Bickle says when he tells his prophetic history that this
0: isn't just our prophetic history, that it's your prophetic history and you can run with it. So you said you need to have that prophetic history in order to start uh, a praying community. What about just taking from someone else's prophetic history and calling it your own?
1: yeah that's a good point uh, in the early stages of our development, uh I would say kind of two thousand and two when I first the idea first came to me until we launched in two thousand and six, I was going through the same processes. I was asking the question about uh, what is it that the Lord has actually said to us and what am I allowed to to borrow from others and I had listened to that ihop prophetic history a number of times, and I was stirred by it, and I was. I was uh, propelled forward into it, but I wasn't certain that it was ours to keep. I just thought it must belong to them, and we've got to get our own stories. And if you've ever listened to those stories, uh, they're filled with angelic visitations and signs in the in the in the heavens. And you know, I thought, do we need angelic visitations? Do we need comets and droughts and things like that? People taken up into heaven in order to validate our little prayer ministry in Winnipeg, and. I was in uh, Kansas City uh, prior to the launch of this and sitting with one of their leaders and having this discussion. And I remember clearly the, he he looked at me, we were talking about this theme and he looked at me and said, you know, you can take our prophetic history for yourself. It doesn't just belong to us, it belongs to the whole movement. He said, you're in the mov- movement, bro. He says, you're part of this thing. This house of prayer, is your, yours is part of the whole stream. He said, take what we, we the Lord has said to us and apply it to you you're a part of this and so i we drove home from Kansas City it's a 13 hour drive down a long straight road for those of you who've ever done that and i listened to a number of them on the way home and i thought this is true these things really are for us like he, the, i had sort of missed that somehow that the lord wasn't just talking to, to Kansas City he was talking to all prayer communities anywhere that would set themselves to be in worship and prayer or priesthood before the lord calling out for revival and change in his will and Suddenly it struck me, we're in the movement, this is us, and these things apply to us. There was a comet that came across the sky in 83, not just for for Kansas City, but for the folks that live in Winnipeg and every other city that wants it. So we all grabbed a hold of it, and it's matter, It's really mattered. I didn't have the, the specifics for Winnipeg yet, I only had those, but I had a, just a treasure in my hand because I was confident that the Lord was establishing something, then he began to add to it.
0: Although our house of prayer started on the same date that the comet fell,
1: yeah, the we yeah, this is funny because <laughs> we have a weird date thing happening, right? So yeah. our the nineteen uh, May the seventh, eighty three, the uh, comet comes on the first of the the first day of their f- solemn assembly, and that's the launch of the the uh, the whole I th- the whole thing in eighty three. And then in 1999, May the 7th, IHOP starts. 2002, I'm standing in IHOP on their third anniversary on May the 7th. Yet again, hear the word of the Lord to to start the work in Winnipeg. And on 2006, May the 7th, we launch, not on purpose. It just happened that the Lord put it together that way. And here we are. We're forever tied to not just IHOP and to the the stream, but we're tied to the prophetic history that the Lord's birthing. For some of our listeners, if you're,
2: you're listening right now and thinking, okay, we're talking about IHOPs, prophetic history, all this stuff. What are they even talking about? I just encourage you um, to go to their website, and we'll link to it in the show notes as well, where Mike actually tells some of these stories of prophetic history, and you can get connected with some of the things the Lord's been speaking to the prayer movement over the past number of decades. But Brian, as you were talking, I was reminded of something you've told us before, and it was this reality that everyone wants this powerful, angelic visitation, this powerful kind of word of the Lord sort of moment. But the reality is, is that, um, we kind of don't because when he gives us a word of that level, it probably means it's going to be seriously resisted. And so that's why he gives us Mm -hmm. a word at at that sort of level. And yet I also see this, um, there's a difference in my mind between just receiving a prophetic word and receiving something that I'll, I'll use a phrase like a word of the Lord sort of encounter, right? Like, um, And so in, in my own, in my own life, I've seen that where you get prophetic words all the time. And so you weigh and you test them and some of them you put on the shelf and you're just like, I'm not sure. Maybe it's the Lord. Maybe it is. It sounds encouraging. I like it. But then there's some of these moments where it's like, Whoa, this, the Lord, either he speaks to you just straight to your spirit. Um, maybe it's through someone else giving you a word, but when those things happen, it marks you and you remember it like 10, 15 years, you remember where you were. You remember what it felt like you remember those sorts of things, um, in your own experience, um, what are some of those moments where you've kind of felt the the word of the Lord, and how did that help ground you in your role as director of a
1: house of prayer? Mm, that's an excellent distinction because um, sometimes we want to roll those things in together and make it seem like any prophetic word is a word from the Lord or a word the word of the Lord that 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 larger thing that you're describing. And they're not necessarily the same. There, there's that word of the Lord that comes to us that is so powerful and so um, designed to g- both uh, grip you and anchor you and then also sustain you and propel you forward. And then there's prophetic words and prophetic experiences that come around that, that confirm and lift up and encourage and strengthen. But in and of themselves, they wouldn't be enough for you. And so you, you, you have a, a sort of two things working at the same time. In our house of prayer, we've had both for sure. We've had the, the times where I had the encounter uh, and it was me that was sort of representative of everyone else, but it was so anchoring to me and so powerful and so gripping that I knew that I knew that it was right. And then we had a series of other confirming kind of prophetic things that came around that, that were helpful for everyone else to understand or or for me to continue to stay on track so that we just knew that it was, it was the Lord and he was going to confirm it. And so I can go back. I'll just tell you a funny story because this is uh, my life gets intertwined with this. But I can go back as, to my earliest uh, memories as a child when I was only five or five, six, seven years old, somewhere in that range, and sitting on my bed as a child, hearing a voice, whether inside my head or outside, I'm not sure, but hearing a voice where the Lord said, I want you to be a priest. And I'm thinking, growing up in a, a, a town that's predominantly Roman Catholic. I guess I'm supposed to be a Roman Catholic priest. And so it's the Lord, he's speaking to me. It's so powerful and it so um, uh, affects me in those early days that I actually... Set myself, even as a six-year-old, to be the to be a priest, and and as the years unfold, I, I I do everything that the priest would do with my neighborhood kids. I give them communion; it's just wonder bread with peanut butter on it, but I I pass it out to them. I, I hear their confessions. They some of them actually told me their sins. Uh, they asked me whether or not I would marry them to their girlfriend at a later date when they were, you know when they were older. We lit we actually went around and found. Uh, dead birds that the cat had had got at and buried them in the forest, and I di- I officiated the funeral. I mean, I did the priestly thing because I thought that's what it should look like. And then in the later years, uh, as I got a bit older, my humanity kicked in, and I thought, well, why be a priest when you could be a bishop? And then why be a bishop if you could be a cardinal? And I remember in grade five, they asked me, um, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" That was the standard question every year, and uh, little Jimmy said, "I want to be a hockey player." And Little Bobby said, "I want to be a police officer." And when they got to me, they said, "What do you want to be?" And I said, "The Pope." <laughs> uh, that was my goal in life. I, because I had a call on my life from a, from a, the earliest days that this is who I was supposed to be before God. I'm not even sure I understand who Jesus was and the the fullness of everything, but it was so powerful and it was so gripping that it held me for decades. And, you know, context changed and, you know, I'm married with children. I'm never going to be the Pope now, but, uh, you know, I, we, we moved off into other things and found ourselves in a different church stream and the Lord brought it all around, redefined what that meant for us and sent us in a, a context where a house of prayer was an expression of the priesthood. And now I'm, I'm not, I'm not five, I'm, I'm 35 and I'm staring at the, 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 the thing unfolding and I'm realizing, wow, Lord, you gave me that to hold me in place for decades. And when the time did come around and the definition of it became clearer and it made so much sense in its context, it was it was so anchoring and it was so propelling to go forward. I had no doubt at that point. Then I could say to you guys, Hey, I know what the priesthood is and the Lord has called us to be priests before the Lord. And it's been on my life the whole time. And and guys like you suddenly uh, feel it too. And you see it scripturally and you resonate with it. And, and the Lord is gathering a group of people around a singular idea. Powerful.
2: And it's so cool to see now that even years after you're not 35 now anymore either and, nope. and but this thing has so rooted and grounded you and I love it. Yep.
3: Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you're saying, how you can have this prophetic history that stretches back almost to your earliest memories. Uh, and I think that's such a, a a gift from the Lord that that he would give us these different sort of things that we didn't even know because I'm sure in your 20s it was confusing, right? And mm-hmm. and in your 30s it, it started to make a little bit more sense, but it, it took uh, like half your life for this to really materialize. And I think that's just even a real encouragement for people that uh, the Lord might speak something to you and it's not for now. It's not for five years from now. It might be for 10, 20, 30 years from now. What do you have to say to people like that when they, they feel like it should be right now, but they don't know? Do you have any advice for stewarding those words, for for just keeping them alive? But, but how, how do you kind of navigate that whole thing?
1: It's a great, great question. The, uh, I've had a number of those along the way where the Lord spoke to me and then didn't give full definition and then allowed a delay to come that lasted for, for so long that all I could do was I can remember clearly writing them down or typing them ty- typing them on a typewriter back in those days and typing them out, putting them on a piece of paper and putting them in a, in a place and then once a year pulling them out and reading them and reading them to myself and to the Lord and saying, okay, you said it. I don't have a clue how this is going to turn out. I feel like I'm miles from it now. I felt closer to it when you said it. And now I feel like I'm a hundred miles the other direction, but you said it. And so I choose to take it and agree with it and remind myself that you're faithful. You know, ultimately this thing comes down to a journey of intimacy with the Lord. I mean, we either know who he is and we trust who he is, or it's all for naught anyway. And so prophetic words and prophetic history, they come, they give us encouragement, they they give us uh, courage and strength, but they ultimately root us to who he is. And he... He's more interested, far more interested in that than he is in accomplishing something through us and then having us as kind of roadkill at the end of the day, run over by the process. He doesn't want us run over by the process. He really likes us and really wants us to partner with him. So I look at my own life and I think I'm 53 now. And in that journey, I've had 50 years almost since the day that he spoke that over me. He didn't really tell me what it was until I was in my 30s, and he didn't really give me context to be able to even do it until I was in my 40s, and now I've walked it out for 10, you know, 10, 12, 13 years, and it makes more sense. It's clearer, but it's still not the fullness of what he has. I look at the next 10 years and the next 20 years, and I think, oh, but you're going to gather these people. The, the words becoming seasoned, the authority to call them and to set them and train them is becoming clearer and, and more powerful. Just wait, just wait. Give us 20 more years and watch and see what the prayer, the prayer movement and the priesthood looks like in our context.
0: Okay, so how about when you get a prophetic story or promise and it's been 20 years and it doesn't seem to be fitting where the Lord's taking you on that journey, like he's called you to start a house of prayer, but maybe you received a word that is completely different than receiving a house of prayer word. How do you know when to let go of those words and when it's directly from the Lord?
1: How do you navigate that? Yeah, Uh, well, um, prophecy is tricky. Uh, For anybody that's ever received a prophetic word, you know enough to know that um, sometimes it makes sense in the moment. Uh, Oftentimes it doesn't, and it needs to be at the very least just put on the shelf. And uh, again, the same kind of thing, take it out and look at it and pray into it, but you can't make it happen. And and you know, there's a good percentage of prophetic words that we give to each other that are just flat out wrong. We're trying, we've got good intentions, we just don't hear very well. And so we're encouraging, we're we're building each other up, but we don't always get the details right. And so that makes the journey all that, the much more uh, complicated. Having said that, uh, it's still our responsibility to cultivate our ability to hear his voice. And so you you're responsible to do that for you. Like I'll use the example of starting this house. I'm in I'm in IHOP in 2002, having an encounter with him on that day on May the 7th, that no one else is experiencing but me, and no one else is going to understand this when I return back to Winnipeg to say, "Hey, I feel like the Lord's asked us to establish a house of prayer." I I can remember that people just stared at me blankly and thought, "You're gonna do what? What's a house of prayer, and why would you want to do that?" I don't even like prayer meetings, and at that point, I didn't like prayer meetings either, and so. I just knew that the Lord had talked to me and and had apprehended me concerning this thing, and so I have to cultivate that in my own life. I got to know when He's talking, and I have to have a confidence that that's Him, that's His voice. Uh, I know His nature. I can trust Him, and I can move with Him. And if I don't build that, and if I don't cultivate it, I'm really I can be tossed left and right by every prophetic th- sign or thought or or promise that comes from other people. Some of which are right, many of which might not even be right. It's a, that's a it's a dangerous place to be. So, I mean, you're asking the question, you know, when do you let go? And I think you let go when you feel for yourself that the Lord is directing you or moving you in a specific way. Uh, and some of them will just trail off and they they become irrelevant. Um, sometimes the Lord just doesn't confirm. That's another thing that I've often encouraged people to do. I'll just say, if that's really God, get him to confirm it three more times. Not, not from you, not so you felt that you... You you know you felt good about it three more days, but get three other people outside of your circle that don't know anything about this to come to you, surprise you with confirmation in some form, and you hear that, then you'll know that that's really the Lord. And I tell you, whenever we do it in our context, it's incredible how much confirmation comes in such a short period of time.
3: So just to rephrase a couple of things you're saying there, would you say it's accurate then that the prophetic doesn't function outside our relationship with the Lord, outside the scriptures, outside of sort of those daily practices that... That what we're trying to do when we get these prophetic words is we're really weighing it against the scriptures, weighing it against what we know from the Lord to be true. And we're saying, you know, Lord, what is this? Is this something to hold on to? Is this something for now, for later, to let go of? Is it is it more just uh, a part of our, our relationship with the Lord, like hearing God's voice, whether it's something really large for your praying community or something really small for your life? It's just... Part of that daily relationship with Jesus.
1: Exactly, you've got it. So, pr- prophecy and gifts of prophecy and revelation—they're uh, tools that the Lord gives us to function, to to strengthen each other in the body, to to uh, play a role in seeing kingdom the kingdom advance. But uh, we are uh, ultimately a a um, invited into a relationship with the Lord that's got to be personal, and hearing His voice is is about hearing the voice of an actual person. Not a human person in the in the the sense that you just know your friend, but the the one who knows everything, the one who who understands it all and sees everything person perfectly. He wants to talk to us about these kinds of details, and so uh, hearing the destiny for your own life or the the direction that the Lord wants to take the the city or the community that you live in, uh, the things that have been spoken to you by other people that may or may not have any confirmation or even make sense in this moment. It's all got to run through that same filter. It's you're, you're, You are, uh, by definition, invited into a relationship that, that if you cultivate, you get to hear, and you get to hear his voice. And by getting to hear his voice, all of this becomes a whole lot easier and a whole lot clearer. Apart from that, I mean, seriously, so complicated, so confusing, so uh, ripe with with the potential to, to hurt you, to, to just damage you along the way because you don't have any way to navigate the uh, journey. So hearing of his voice is just so critical. So I've been with you pretty much since the beginning on
0: this journey in the house of prayer. And I'm sure you listening could probably relate to this, that there are difficult seasons and there are easier seasons. There are ups and downs when you're giving yourself to the place of prayer. In particular, I remember a two-year season where it was just really hard. So uh-huh. what, what role did the prophetic play in, in that two-year season? Like, what exactly did you have to revisit the promises? Like, are we going in the right direction?
1: What role did it play exactly? It was a difficult season. Uh, you know, again, we've been almost 13 years, and we had a window there of about, you guys know it, it was about two and a half years. It was very sovereignly started. I could, t- I could tell you the day that it started. I can tell you the day that it ended, and it became... uh, Difficult on all kinds of levels. It was like you couldn't um, feel the the uh, the presence of the Lord in the same way. You your faith concerning the promises was waning. We we got to the point where we didn't even really like each other all that much because it was so difficult to just to be together and to talk about the promises and the and to do the activity of the prayer room. uh, And there was just a lot of stress. And so in the course of that. Uh, I'm trying to maintain uh, a sense of direction and I want to k- encourage the troops as it were. I want to remind us, hey, I know it feels bad, but we're still going in the same direction and the Lord hasn't uh, given up on us. But if I was being completely honest, I was discouraged too. And I felt like I just needed the encouragement of the Lord. How do I get it? And, and you know, going back to what I said a few minutes ago, the necessity of personal relationship was critical because without that, you just really don't have anything. But the Lord was interestingly orchestrating it so that everything was bad, almost everything was bad, except for uh, these moments of prophetic injection. And there was a number of them. In fact, there was so many of them that I actually wrote it all out at the end of the two years because I wanted to remember the story. There were so many uh, prophetic injection moments where suddenly the word of the Lord would come in some form, a dream would be encouraging, or someone would, something would happen. And I actually had an experience, I'll just... You know, give not too many details, but I was at, I had an experience right in the middle of all of this when it was so difficult, where one of the members of our staff came to us and said, I feel like uh, the Lord is inviting us to, to go on a 40-day fast, and, and me specifically, but I think we're supposed to do that. And so I jumped in on it, and our you guys remember staff members said yes, and we kind of got in on this thing together. And not even understanding what the 40 day fast was about, it took a few days. I went back to her and said, "Hey, uh, you know, we're all fasting. Did he tell us exactly what we're fasting for?" And she said, "Well, no, not really, just that we're fasting. So, you know, asked the Lord and confirmed a number of ways and it was it was a transitionary fast. It was about changing from one season to another season. And so I said, okay, good. We're in a transition. Good. I can do this. And I'm thinking on the 40th day, we're getting out of this terrible, awful season. And that's the end of it. Hallelujah. But it turns out it doesn't, it goes on for another year, but the Lord initiates the fast and says, go on this thing and trust me in it. About halfway through, uh, I'm at the airport one day and I'm standing there waiting for someone to come off the plane. And I look over and I see a a man there who I know kind of as a prophetic man in the city, but I don't really know him. In the next few minutes, uh, he comes over to me and we begin to talk. We have an exchange that is clearly ordained from the Lord. He begins to give me prophetic insight into some of what's happening. And over the next, you know, I have another meeting with him in the next few days. And he literally says to me, without any knowledge of what's going on, he said, this is an important day that we're meeting today because you're in a transition, And I thought, oh, we are in a transition. Like the Lord had just initiated this 40-day fast. He says, you're in a transition, and the Lord wants you to know that this matters because there's promises that are yet ahead. And he told me a bunch of the things that were yet to come that I knew about, things that he had told us before. He told me those same things, and he said, it's going to change now. You're going to see. You're in this transition, but the Lord's setting something up. Just be faithful and trust that he's doing something. And so suddenly the prophetic breaks in. And it wasn't all new. Some of it was stuff that we'd heard before, but it was so encouraging at a at a moment where I thought, I don't know how to even continue on. The word of the Lord comes, and the word of the Lord came like that dozens and dozens of times. So sometimes your prophetic history is about, okay, I got the five promises on the first day. Now we just keep telling those same stories over and over and over. Sometimes your prophetic history is progressive, and it's unfolding, and it's reconfirming, and it's developing, and. We'll talk sometime about the promises for revival here and and give some of those details because they are anchored with prophetic promises that not only start somewhere, but continually get confirmed. And the Lord does that because he wants us to have courage and he wants us to have faith and he wants us to trust his heart. Those same three things. So we had a great conversation about
0: the role of the prophetic history in in your praying community. There's also prophetic ministry that happens within your praying community on a daily basis where you're praying for others. And we're actually going to have a whole other episode on that. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, I mean, you're going to hear it probably in a couple weeks, weeks. But, but before we get to that, we got Jessica's
2: Tips to Stay Engaged in Prayer.
4: Hey guys, this is Jessica with another tip on how we can stay engaged in the place of prayer. This week's tip is to pray in the Spirit. Also, maybe you've heard it as praying in tongues. And now I realize even just by saying that statement that every single listener has a different probably view on this, has different experience with this, and maybe even just feels comfortable at a different level with this. But just hear me out on it. Uh, This is something that we see in the scripture. And when we search the scriptures for it, it talks about how We utter the mysteries of God when we are speaking in tongues. It also says in 1 Corinthians 14 that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So when we're in personal prayer, when we're in corporate prayer, this is something we can do as individuals that engages our hearts with the Lord. If this is a spiritual gift that you're walking in, it only makes sense to bring this into the place of prayer. This shouldn't be a last resort or I have nothing else to pray. So I guess I'll pray in tongues. But when we pray in tongues, along with praying in our own understanding, it's a very powerful combination in that we just in faith, engage with the spirit in faith. We're believing that the spirit is praying things through us that I don't know. Only God knows, but I would be so curious. What are the things he's saying through me? And I also do want interpretation for tongues. So if you've got any cool stories on that, please send them our way. But praying in tongues can be an awesome way for our hearts to engage in faith with the Lord, which is always the place we want our hearts to be in when we're with him. So just to give a super simple definition again to what this is, is that when you're born again, you have Holy Spirit inside of you. The Spirit of the living God now lives inside of you. And your spirit is is now directly connected to God's spirit. So when you pray in tongues, you may not know what you're saying, but your spirit is speaking the mysteries of heaven, the mysteries of God, and it's going to bring forth fruit. There is no way that God is going to speak something through you that's going to fall flat, that isn't actually going to resonate. And so it's an amazing activity to engage your heart, engage your mind in faith. And so I encourage you guys, step out, press into speaking in tongues this week in the place of prayer. Pray
0: Jessica. Jessica. I'd like to thank Brian Curry for joining us on this week's episode. It's been wonderful, awesome insights. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, just visit our website at burningrooms.ca or find us on social media. So until next time, I'm Johan. I'm Jehu. And I'm Brian. And this is the Burning Burning Rooms Podcast.